Wednesday, June 20th, 2012, episode number six of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside episode number six of the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer, available exclusively on footballnation.com and via download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to this podcast and all the podcasts at footballnation.com in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. The show, of course, comes at you each and every Wednesday throughout the NFL offseason, trudging through the month of June here at NFL mini camps underway. Most of them have been completed at this point in time as well with the new restrictions on practice schedules across the league. So the NFL offseason continues on, but as always, we have a lot to discuss inside this edition of the Football Nation Today podcast. As always, feel free to drop me an email. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. You have any thoughts on the show thus far, an opinion you liked, an opinion you hated, something in between, send me a line, have a... Show topic you'd like to hear discussed, please, areamer at bu.edu. We take emails of all kinds. And also, of course, feel free to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. What's going on today on the Football Nation Today podcast? Well, as always, we have our first down, second down, third down, and fourth down segments. This week in the first down segment, I looked at a big picture issue um, with the NFL. My question, parity in the NFL. We are so much about it. Is it more of a myth or more of a reality? And in fact, can it be both? We have some numbers to share with you in the first down segment. Then the second down segment, the biggest NFL story of the week, has to do with these bounty gate hearings. The NFLPA continues to take the NFL to court, take Roger Goodell to court, saying he uh, improperly issued suspensions to Jonathan Vilma, Anthony Hargrove, and other members and former members of the New Orleans Saints defense. So we'll talk about the latest from the Bounty Gate hearings and how I think the NFLPA and the NFL players continue to show a lot of their hypocrisy with that. Third down segment, it's our big up slowdown, talking about LaDainian Tomlinson retiring with the Chargers, his place in NFL history, Marvin Lewis's status in Cincinnati, and more. And then the fourth down segment, it's traditionally the Reamer rant. This week, a bit of a different twist to that. I'm not going to be ranting about something... I'm going to be waxing poetically about something. Maybe not poetically, but I will be waxing happily about something. There you go. Robert Kraft won the George Hallis Award over the past week in honor that Mr. Kraft most truly deserved. We'll briefly talk about that as well. It's Football Nation Today podcast on footballnation.com with Alex Reamer. Back in a couple of moments. It is the first down segment of the Football Nation Today podcast, and the question I wanted to tackle this week, pun most certainly intended, is parody in the NFL. Myth, reality, or as I mentioned in the opening, both. We continually hear about parody in the National Football League, and I know professional sports league in this country has as much parody at the NFL. So, I did some research this week 
looking at the amount of teams who have won championships in the NFL over the past 11 seasons, and that's a sample I chose starting in 2001 to present, so really this past decade to present, uh, the amount of teams have made the playoffs over the past couple of seasons, so on and so forth. And I found that over the past three seasons, I'm talking 2009, 2010, 2011 regular seasons, over the three most recent seasons, 22 different teams in the NFL have made the playoffs. 22 out of 32. Granted, 12 make it each year, six per league with four divisional winners, two wild cards, but still, that's a pretty damn good percentage in terms of parity. And over just the last three seasons, 22 of 32 teams have made the playoffs. And with 12 making it each year, I'm not a math major, the furthest thing from it, but that's what? Three teams roughly, three new teams roughly per season making the playoffs? That's pretty good in my estimation. So there seems to be a substantial amount of regular season parity in the NFL. That does not seem to be a myth. That seems to be a reality. But then you look at what happens in the postseason. Does the postseason have the same kind of parity that the regular season, especially as of late, seems to have? Well, not so much. You look at the past 11 Super Bowl winners dating back to 2001. Patriots, Buccaneers, Patriots, Patriots, Steelers, Colts, Giants, Steelers, Saints, Packers, Giants. Over the past 11 seasons, there have been seven different Super Bowl winners. The AFC, by the way, has only had four different representatives in that time span. The Patriots, Raiders, Steelers, and Colts. With the Patriots, Steelers, and Colts making it 10 of those 11 seasons. The anomaly, of course, being Oakland in the 2002 season against Tampa Bay. So you say 11, uh, seven different Super Bowl winners in 11 seasons. That's, Alex, I mean, that's not a different winner per season, but that's pretty good. Well, compare it to the other three major sports. In baseball, a sport that nobody would claim as much parity, well, there have actually been eight different World Series winners over the past 11 seasons, so more so than the NFL. Basketball, the NBA, is uniformly the sport that's considered to have the least amount of parity. Well, in basketball, there have actually been six different title winners over the past 11 seasons, compared to just seven in the NFL. So the NFL is sandwiched right between the NBA and the MLB. And then hockey, the NHL, there have been 10 different Stanley Cup winners over the past 11 years. That includes the 2005 season where there was no Stanley Cup. And the Red Wings, by the way, for those wondering, are the only team that has won twice in that time span. So what's the verdict here? There's regular season parity in the NFL that's very rare, that's very real. And I would, in fact, argue last year in particular, a lot of the regular season parity is more regular season mediocrity than anything else. Seem to be a couple of elite teams and a lot of mediocre at best teams. So is it more mediocrity than parity? That's another discussion for another show. But then once you reach the postseason, a lot of that parity seems to disappear. There seems to be a formula to win in the NFL, just as there is in the other sports. The only sport where there's that exception is hockey, 
where some years it's the high-flying offensive teams that, uh, that, that win the Stanley Cup. Three seasons ago, it was the Blackhawks versus the Flyers in the finals. Neither team had much of a goaltender. Then the following year, last year, of course, the Bruins won it behind Tim Thomas and his spectacular goaltending, so seemed as if goaltending was back. And then this year, you know, you had a team like the Washington Capitals make a bleep, make a, a long playoff run, playing a grinded-out defensive style of hockey. You had a team like the Kings win the Cup, who seemed to really be a complete team. Yes, they had the great hot goalie in Jonathan Quick, but they also had a lot of offensive talent with Jeff Carter, Anze Kopitar, Mike Richards, you know, Dustin Brown, uh, good defenders like Dowdy. I mean, on and on, the Kings seem to be a complete team. So in the NHL, it seems to fluctuate year to year. Uh, but you look at baseball. What do you need in October? You need a hot pitching staff. You need a hot starting rotation, a hot bullpen. That's the key. In basketball, what do you need? Well, you need a superstar wing player or a superstar big man, one of the two. Um, the last team to win an NBA championship where you could say the best player on that team was the point guard. You have to go all the way back to the Isaiah Thomas Pistons of the 1980s. So, you know, there are formulas in those sports to win. What's the formula in the NFL? Having an elite quarterback. You know, I mean, you look at the 10 of the past 11 AFC representatives, Patriots, Steelers, Colts, what do those teams have in common in that time span? Quarterback, Patriots, Tom Brady, Colts, Peyton Manning, Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger. You know, you look at teams, the NFC, uh, you did have some anomalies make it, like the Bears made it in 06 with Rex Grossman, Buccaneers won the whole thing in 02 with Brad Johnson, uh, Panthers made it in 03 with Jake DeLome. Uh, but you look at 04, you had Donovan McNabb and the Eagles. Um, you know, Eli Manning, the work that he did in the postseason this year. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers winning it two seasons ago. Drew Brees and the Saints winning it three seasons ago. So, I mean, you look at the NFL and the common denominator for most of the most, for really, I would say, nine of the past 11 Super Bowl winners, the exception being the 0-2 Buccaneers and the 0-7 Giants before Eli Manning really blossomed into what he is today, an elite quarterback. Um, common denominator is elite QBs go deep in the playoffs and elite QBs win. Um, and if you have an elite quarterback, you're probably going to make the playoffs. I mean, you look back at all the playoff teams from this past season, the only team that you could say didn't have at least a really good quarterback was Tim Tebow with the Broncos. Every other team, you could say, had a really good statistical quarterback. Uh, the Texans made it, yes, with their backup, TJ Yates, but Matt Schaub got the majority of those regular season wins, so I still count Matt Schaub kind of there with the Texans. Uh, so the point is, just like every other sport, there's a formula to postseason success in the NFL. That formula is about having an elite QB. That's what nine of the past 11 Super Bowl winners have had. Uh, that's what 10 of the past 11 AFC representatives in the Super Bowl have had. And you look at the past 11 seasons, there have been seven different Super Bowl winners, which is right there with the NBA, the sport where there's considered to be the least amount of parity, where there's been six different championship winners. So my verdict is parity in the NFL. Does it exist? Absolutely, especially in the regular season. Though I would say in recent years, last year especially, the parity may be more mediocrity. But still, absolutely it exists in the regular season. Once you get to the postseason, though, over the past decade plus, the parity seems to shrink, and the same kind of teams rise to the top. And those same kind of teams are the teams that have the elite quarterback play. And a timely defense that can make stops when they have to and make the big play, create the big turnover.
Moving on to our second down segment, this as it's been the the past number of weeks this offseason, uh, the biggest story of the week on the field, and I would say this week, the biggest story period in the NFL has to do with the continuation of the Bounty Gate hearings with the NFLPA, Saints players, Jonathan Vilma, Anthony Hargrove, Will Smith, uh, Scott Vegeta, current Saints, former Saints that have been suspended as a result of Bounty Gate, appealing their suspensions to the league. An arbiter already turned it down. It's going back to court, though. Uh, and on the fight goes with the NFLPA saying that Roger Goodell and the NFL wrongfully suspended these Saints players. First saying Goodell didn't have power under the new CBA to do so because this, these uh, infractions took place under the old CBA. That was thrown out by the arbiter. So now the new main argument for the NFLPA is that the NFL simply doesn't have enough hard evidence to suspend these specific players. Uh, and Drew Brees actually tweeted this this past week. Quote, if NFL fans were told there are weapons of mass destruction enough times, they'd believe it. But what happens when you don't find any? Close quote. So Drew Brees in 160, 140 characters compared this bounty gate trial to the Iraq war and the lies the American people were told by the Bush administration about the Iraq war and the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that, of course, were not there. So that's what Drew Brees just did, equating this to the Iraq War. I would say a bit of a stretch, um, especially because the evidence, at least from my perspective here, is overwhelming. I mean, the NFL has presented, as of this recording, 16 exhibits in this case. Uh, I'm going to le- read through some of them to you right now. You can, I found these, I believe, as a link, a PDF file on ESPN.com, the NFL section. So, I mean, these are public knowledge. Uh, you know, exhibit... Uh, one, handwritten notes, transcription about, you know, the bounty for, for a specific game. Uh, you know, they had a number of presentations about the Saints defense, a couple of these from uh, October through November of 2009. Um, you know, they have uh, more handwritten notes, more presentations, game footage from January 24th, 2010, NFC Championship game, including, a four, source vid- including four source videos there. Um, seems to be a lot of evidence, a lot of hard evidence, a lot of footage, which is indisputable. And among the things the league revealed in this trial recently, uh, a prize of $35,000 for knocking Brett Favre out of the NFC Championship game in January 2007. Uh, the $35,000 offered to the sideline included $10,000 pledges from Jonathan Vilma, uh, former Saints defensive lineman Charles Grant, and Mike Ornstein. An outsider and convicted felon, the NFL says, was involved in the bounty program. Ornstein and, former, and current Saints coach Sean Payton have a long history with each other. Uh, assistant coach Joe Vitt, who is the interim coach, when he's done with his suspension, uh, pledged the other $5,000. Uh, a video from that game, the 2010 NFC Championship game, shows Vitt telling defensive players on the sideline that Favre was out with a broken leg following a vicious hit. Defensive end Anthony Hargrove is shown turning to teammate Bobby McRae and saying, Hey, Bobby, give me the money. Anthony Hargrove, the same guy who says that this court case is a sham, that the NFL's evidence is a sham, that they don't have enough hard evidence to suspend him. Uh, Well, you're caught on tape, Anthony Hargrove, of saying to your teammate Bobby McRae, Hey, Bobby, give me the money after Brett Favre is wheeled out of the game with a broken leg. Or Jonathan Vilma says the NFL doesn't have enough hard evidence to suspend him for his involvement in Bounty Gate 
But yet, they have footage, hard evidence, of Vilma making a $10,000 pledge to the thirty-five dollars offered to take out five. So, the NFLPA, to me, is completely wrong here. From my perspective, and granted, I'm not privy to everything, but I'm privy to what the public is privy to. And it seems as if the NFL has a lot of hard evidence here. And the NFLPA's only real defense here is that uh, it's more hearsay than anything else. There isn't enough specific evidence attached to these specific players. But doesn't it just come across as so shallow? I mean, even so, Jonathan Vilma here is essentially willing to throw his peers under the bus just to save himself, saying, yeah, Bounty Gate was going on, and yeah, I had a bunch of teammates on defense who were involved in this. But I wasn't really involved in it. You know, they're the ones. I was... They are in trouble, yeah, and they're in the wrong, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I am the one who, you know, shouldn't be suspended here. I am the one who should be saved. I mean, Vilma's the leader of that defense. He's a leader in the NFLPA, and thus it should be guilt by association more than anything else. I mean, you're so concerned about player safety, Jonathan Vilma, but yet you didn't do anything when you could have to prevent these bounties being handed out. Even if we are to believe you that there is enough hard evidence to convict you, which there seems to be. But even if we are to believe you, you know, I mean, you just sat there silently, let your peers injure your other peers, and, and that's that. You should get off scot-free. No bleeping way. So I know this is an old narrative. It's something I've talked about time and time again, but it came up in the news this week. And it just, you know, shows the NFLPA here doesn't have much of a case. And I don't mean to come off as a guy who rails against the National Football League Players Association because I think the NFL players get a raw deal in the league nine times out of ten. The fact that they don't have guaranteed contracts is a complete joke, and I think the NFLPA deserves a lot of criticism for not fighting harder for those guaranteed contracts. I thought the lockout last year was a total joke. I thought it was the owners being greedy, nothing nothing more, nothing less. That's all it was, the owners wanting more, more, more. I thought the players were completely in the right last year. So... I said it with the players more times than not, as we'll learn as this podcast continues. But, as far as this goes, the players, in my opinion, cannot be more wrong. They cannot come off more poorly from a public perception standpoint. They look to be hypocrites here, arguing player safety by day, and then throwing your other teammates under the bus by night, and just, you know, just letting bounties happen, and pitching in money, you know, I mean, just showing no concern for anybody else but yourself so they come across as incredibly hypocritical and they also come across as wrong i mean the nfl seems to have a substantial amount of hard evidence against these specific players too so i think the nfl pa is going to come across as a loser again in this court hearing and we'll see if they continue to try to fight it but the longer they try to fight it the more the bounty gate stays in the news, and the worse it is for the league, and the worse it is for the players. They should give it up already, because the more the story drags on, the worse it is for all parties involved. Moving onwards to our third down segment, this is the big, big up or slow down segment, where I read an opinion, a statement, and then big up is what I say if I agree with it, slow down is what I say if I disagree with it. Big up or slow down? LaDainian Tomlinson retired with the Chargers on Monday with more yards than all but four players in league history and more touchdowns than all but Emmett Smith. So, big up or slow down? LaDainian Tomlinson is the greatest statistical running back of all time. 
chew on that for a moment. I say slow down, though he's close. With 13,684 yards and 145 touchdowns in 11 seasons. He's awfully close. Awfully close. You look at Walter Payton in 13 seasons. Had 16,726 yards, but only 110 touchdowns. And Walter Payton scored 35 less TDs than LaDainian Tomlinson in an era where running backs were obviously a more featured part of the offense, especially in the red zone. So keep that in mind with LT, too. You know, he played in an era where the shift offensively uh, began to go away from the running backs more towards the passing game, even in the red zone. You know, it used to be only about the ground and pound, and nowadays it's about finding the matchup advantage in the corner of the end zone with a big athletic wide receiver or the tight ends in the red zone have become huge. Uh, so, you know, that's what makes LT's 145 touchdowns even that more impressive. The fact that he did it all in an era where the offensive game plans continued to stray away from the running back position. I look at Barry Sanders, only played nine seasons, accumulated 1,500, 269 yards. Uh, Jim Brown had 1,200, 312 yards, 106 touchdowns in nine seasons. Emmett Smith, statistically speaking, is the best running back of all time when you combine all of it in 15 seasons, so he did play longer than pretty much anyone else, but he still accumulated 1,800, 355 yards, and 164 touchdowns. So statistically speaking, I would probably say Emmett Smith is the best of all time. Again, you have guys like Walter Payton, who have, you know, about 3,000 more yards than LaDainian Tomlinson. So, you know, Barry Sanders played two less years, 2,000 more yards than LT, roughly speaking. So, you know, LT isn't the greatest statistical running back of all time. He falls short, but he falls slightly short. Not nearly as short as you may think at first glance. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson is not the greatest statistical running back of all time, but he's certainly one of the greatest statistical running backs of all time. And an undoubtable, uh, and, and he had an undoubtedly Hall of Fame career. Now, sticking with the LT theme, since this was a major story this week, he of course signed the one-day contract to retire as a Charger on Monday. That leads to this question: Big up or slow down? It's corny to sign a one-day contract and retire with the same team you identify most with. Um, <laughs> I say slow down. Look, I usually find this kind of stuff corny, but in this particular case, I don't. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of cool, frankly, when a player signs a one-day contract to the team who we came up with, or the team he identifies most with, and retires wearing that uniform. We're all accustomed to see him wear. Eh, yeah, I guess it's corny in a way, but I don't think it's corny. I think it's pretty cool, actually. So slow down. It is not corny that LaDainian Tomlinson signed a one-day contract to the Chargers so he could retire as a Charger. Big up or slow down, Coach Marvin Lewis should be extended by the Bengals entering the final year of his contract. Big up. Uh, the team transitioned nicely last season. The beginning of the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era offensively. A remade defense as well in a lot of respects. We kept hearing about Marvin Lewis's chops as a defensive coach. We kept hearing about how good of a uh, coach Lewis is, a pure football coach. They had disappointing year after disappointing year in Cincinnati when Chad Ochocinco was there and Carson Palmer was QB and they had a makeshift defense more times than not. And Lewis kept coming up short, kept coming up short, close to being fired numerous times, but 
He kept his job, and he did lead the Bengals to the playoffs last season. In my mind, Marvin Lewis did enough to warrant a contract extension in this new era of Cincinnati Bengals football. There is nothing worse than a lame duck head coach and a coach entering the final year of his contract with no extension in sight is exactly that, a lame duck head coach. So the Cincinnati Bengals big up, yes, they should extend Marvin Lewis entering the final year of his deal. I mean, frankly, in my opinion, if I owned an NFL team, or any or any professional sports team for that matter, I would pretty much do all I could to not have a coach enter the final year of his contract unsigned. I would. I would try to make that evaluation before it gets to that point. Because in theory, yeah, it works. Have the coach or manager coach for his job. But this is seldom an ideal world. And as we know, more times than not, when you have a coach coach for his job, the players stop listening to him. And then it's a lost season. It's a season of controversy. The guy you have in charge needs to have security. He needs to know that he is secure in his job so that he can do what he wants to do to be successful. So I would always try to avoid the lame duck coach scenario in any sport. And I think the Bengals should avoid it with Marvin Lewis. They should sign him to that extension. Big up. Cowboys Vice President Stephen Jones called out Des Bryant during an interview on a Dallas radio station last week saying that Bryant has to embrace the role of being a number one receiver. Big up or slow down. Was that warranted? Stephen Jones calling out Des Bryant like that. I say big up. A guy like Brian, Bryant, excuse me, entering his third year, needs a kick in the rear end every once in a while. We know that Des Bryant has the, has the talent. We know he has the swagger. Remember the story a couple years ago when he was a rookie in training camp refusing to carry a veteran's pads. Des Bryant certainly has the swagger, certainly has the talent. One thing he has lacked early on is the consistency. To be a number one receiver, especially in today's NFL, you need to be there all the time. So Cowboys Vice President Stephen Jones felt the need to call it Des Bryant in a radio interview. A guy like Des Bryant sometimes needs a public rear end kicking to respond to the challenge. So I see nothing wrong with it. Big up. Sure. Didn't say anything malicious. He just said Bryant needs to begin to embrace the role of being the, the, the number one receiver. And, you know, on one hand, you kind of kicked him in the rear end saying he needs to step up and embrace this role. But on the other hand, you gave him a compliment saying that he is the number one receiver. So it's a backhanded compliment, yes, but nothing totally malicious. I have no problem with owners, presidents, vice presidents every once in a while going on the radio, going on TV, I'm calling out a player a little bit in the press. Sometimes a player needs a kick in the rear end. Time to move on to our fourth down segment. It is the Reamer rant in which we'll talk about a man who's seldom, an organization, frankly, who's seldom, uh, an organization that, excuse me, I know corporations are people, I know, in today's government, but not in the English language. Uh, organization that seldom kicks its players in the rear end publicly. Um, this is not this is not a rant at all. As I said in the opening, changing it up a little bit this week in the Reamer rant, just taking a few brief moments to reflect on something, and that something is Patriots owner Robert Kraft being awarded the George Hallis Award 
The NFL writers uh, select the player, coach, or executive who overcame the most adversity to succeed over the past year. Robert Kraft, more than deserving of this honor, as he worked to end the NFL lockout while his beloved wife, Myra, was dying of cancer. Mrs. Myra Kraft, of course, passed away from cancer prior to the 2011 NFL regular season. And throughout that time, Robert Kraft was flying back and forth between his compound in Massachusetts to wherever the NFL owners and players were meeting. He was the owner who initiated the talks. He was the owner who most reached across the proverbial aisle. He was the owner who worked to get things going. We know the famous photograph now with Robert Kraft and Colt Center Jeff Saturday standing embracing each other at the end of all of it, coming to an agreement. Uh, the NFL owners were... We're playing hardball. They most certainly were at the lockout. And Robert Kraft was the owner who finally stood up and said, Look, guys, we're making more than enough money. We've already won a lot of things we want to win against the players in the NFLPA. Let's back off here and get some football. What are we doing? And Bob Kraft did all of this while his wife, Myra, was simultaneously passing away from cancer. I mean, if that's an overcoming adversity to end the lockout, almost single-handedly end the lockout, from the owner's perspective, reaching across to the players while your wife is dying from cancer, then frankly, I don't know what is. And I will continue to contest, and I'm sure you remember this if you saw it, the scene of Robert Kraft at the end of Super Bowl this year after the Giants had won in the final seconds. The cameras turned to Robert Kraft in the owner's box as he looked up to the sky Blankly looked up to the sky after the Patriots lost the Super Bowl. One of the saddest things I've ever seen. I said it then, I still say it now. Robert Kraft looking up to the sky after the Patriots lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. Robert Kraft, more than deserving of the George Hallis Award, certainly overcame the most adversity to succeed this year. And one of the best owners, not only in the NFL, but in all of professional sports. What he's done with the Patriots is remarkable. The Gillette Stadium, Patriot Place out there in Foxborough. And now the Patriots are really the quintessential example of the winning organization. There is a distinct Patriot way. And Robert Kraft embodies all of that. He is the model of consistency. He is what every owner should strive to be. And he is a more than deserving recipient of the George House Award. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer. As always, feel free to send me an email at areamer at bu.edu. Also, follow me and my daily nonsense on Twitter at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter handle. Hopefully, you enjoyed this edition of the Football Nation Today podcast as we continue to march through the offseason. If you have any show ideas, please let us know. I was looking to take in your ideas. Make this podcast the best podcast it can be. Enjoy the rest of your week. Temperatures in the 90s here in the New England area for the rest of the week. So finally, feeling like summer. Summer is here to stay. Enjoy the weather this week. Stay warm. Stay uh, stay warm. Stay tan. Yes, not staying stay cool. No, stay warm because the heat feels good. And uh, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next on the Football Nation Today podcast next Wednesday. So long. Talk then one week from now on footballnation.com.